This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. Australia is going to vote for the voice to parliament at a referendum. We know that. We know it's going to happen, but officially we know it's going to happen because the legislation has passed the Senate. So with this massive vote just months away, how is it all shaping up? Well, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be focusing on the voice referendum. You're going to be hearing some different perspectives, different points of view. Let's get into it. Pack. Today, we can start a national conversation about what a voice is, why it's needed, and how it will make a practical difference. I want to see Australia move forward as one, not two divided. On Triple J. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Canberra. It's only Monday and a whole bunch of stuff is happening. Because Parliament's getting ready for its mid-year break, so the government's trying to get a heap of stuff sorted before then. And one of those things is finalising details for the voice referendum. We're going to get to that in a bit. The other thing that's dominating the headlines today is housing. And you might have seen some headlines over the weekend saying the Prime Minister's announced a $2 billion housing plan. What is all that about? We're about to find out. Hacks political reporter Shalila Madora is with us now. G'day, Shalila. Hello, Dave. Can you explain what's happened today with housing policy? Because I'm sure people are maybe a bit confused. Yeah, totally. So what happened today was that the Greens and the Coalition voted together to defer a vote on that so-called Housing Affordability Future Fund. Now, this is the centrepiece of Labor's housing policy. It's really the only thing they brought to the table in terms of fixing the housing crisis that we're in at the moment. And it aimed to create a $10 billion fund to invest money from the fund into social and affordable housing and housing more generally. But look, the coalition were never really on board with it. They said it was too much money. And for the Greens, for their part, they were against it because they didn't think it went far enough. So the La- the Labor Party has put forward a few amendments, um, you know, tweaks here and there to try and get the Greens across the line. The most recent one is the one that you mentioned earlier, which is that $2 billion would immediately go towards the creation of social and affordable housing that was announced over the weekend. But really the sticking point for the Greens is rent. It wants renters to be protected in this fund too, mainly through the use of a rental freeze and other sort of levers to kind of make it a bit more affordable if you're struggling to pay your rent. Here's what Greens leader Adam Bant had to say earlier today. It is up to Labor to act on soaring rent increases if they want to get their housing legislation through. The Greens have been willing to negotiate and compromise and we have bent over backwards. We've bent over backwards. The response from Labor has been everything is impossible until they change their mind. Right, okay. Greens leader Adam Vant not happy there, Shalala. So what happens now? Does this mean that we're going to have to wait until October for any changes to housing policy? Essentially, yeah. Any changes to this particular policy, at least. The deferral is till the 16th of October. And in that time, it's really up to the government to try and negotiate to get a few of those sticking points, particularly with the Greens across the line. So it it is going to be a little bit of a wait. Labor, for its 
part is saying that every day that we have to wait here, we lose $1.3 million in this potential fund. So it's saying the urgency is really important, that we really need to get this voted down. But at this stage, it lost it lost the battle in the Senate. So we're going to have to wait till October. Interesting. Hey, Shalala, the other big story today, the one that we're focusing on on hack is the voice referendum. It's passed through Parliament today. Can you explain what that means? Yes. So in a nutshell, Dave, what it means is we are heading to our first ever referendum since 1999. All right. Well, let's hear how it all played out today. The ayes 52 and the noes 19. And just like that, history was made. A bill to enact to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. The Constitutional Amendment Bill 2023 has officially passed Parliament. As the name would suggest, the new law sets a referendum in motion to change the constitution so that we can vote on whether or not we think the proposed Indigenous voice to Parliament is a good idea. And I say to my fellow Australians that Parliament's passed laws, but it is people who make history. This is your time, your chance, your opportunity. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has always said the referendum would be held in the last quarter of this year. And today, he got a bit more specific. So it can be uh, any time now uh, from two months and 33 days and six months. That's the time frame between. All the speculation would suggest it's going to be called for the end of October. We already know the question will be asked. A proposed law to alter the constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? The law that just passed gives us a bit more info on what the voice would look like, like where it would sit in the constitution, what the function of the body is, and significantly give parliament the power to chop and change how the voice would work. But that's it. The rest is pretty vague. You want the flexibility to be able to then legislate the detail to make sure it works properly. Professor Anne Toomey is a constitutional law expert at the University of Sydney. She told ABC TV, we the public don't vote on the nitty gritty of how the voice will work for a reason. So the point of it is to make sure that there is that flexibility built in because we don't want things frozen into the constitution that might be hard to change in the future. But Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians, Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price, isn't sold on keeping the legislation vague. The Prime Minister wants us to blindly trust him to sign his blank cheque and allow his risky proposal to be enshrined forever in the constitution. Okay, so what happens now? A $9.5 million taxpayer-funded education campaign will be launched. That is, informing people on the referendum without urging people to vote for or against it. Director of From the Heart, Dean Parkin, told Sky News that's badly needed. We can go out to the, in, into the community and quite often have a conversation and people say, well, well what's the constitution and, and, and what's a referendum? You know, it's been 24 years since this country has gone um, to the polls in a referendum. There's a whole chunk of the population that has never voted in a referendum. Crucially, though, the government won't fund either the yes or no campaign. Those camps will have to raise their own funds. But households will get a pamphlet in the mail just before the referendum outlining the changes and the case for and against those changes. That's a requirement of law. 
Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney wants to remind us that this process has been years in the making. The Uluru Statement was the culmination of more than 12 regional dialogues. 1,200 Indigenous elders and leaders from across Australia listening to advice from the ground in communities. Hack on Triple Jack. Linda Burney there ending Shalala Medora's update from Canberra today. And yeah, we have been hearing a lot from politicians on the voice referendum for months and we've been interviewing a lot of them here on Hack. Maybe you're sick of hearing from politicians. Well, let's talk to some young First Nations people with different viewpoints on The Voice, on the referendum, because there's a bunch out there. First, Malilma May is a Gullumbringan Dungalaba Tiwi woman. She's the head of a group called Uprising of the People. Now, it was opposed to The Voice, but now it isn't. And Millie's changed her mind. She's with me now. G'day, Millie. Thanks for coming on, Hack. Thank you for having me. We now know that The Voice to Parliament referendum It's definitely going ahead later this year. The legislation passed the Senate earlier today. How does that feel for you? I think it's a good little step in the right direction. Yes, it's going to be a big few months and I have already reminded myself to not read the comments and already sort of put out an affirmation out there that once you've made up your mind and you feel good in the least harmful option to not look at your phone and don't worry about engaging in any of the rhetoric or comments that might be quite negative around the voice. Well, I wanted to unpack a bit more your position on this, your group's position and how you came to that position because initially you are opposed to the voice idea. Why was that? It was scary. The voice is asking us to think differently. And that kind of thinking does engage fear in us with anything. And so I know that my fears were around, what does it mean we have a voice? Will it just be tokenistic? Will it cede our sovereignty? What will the repercussions be? And I think all the questions that come up promote a lot of fear with the unknown. So when was it that you shifted in your opinion and thought, actually, no, I do support this? It was when I started seeing and thinking about what the least harmful option would be for our people. And so this was through many conversations and only in the last six months or so was I able to really step back and think, hold on a second, this is just another way of doing something. It's another way. It might be a bit different to how I would want things to be done, but it is an alternative solution. It is another way. It's not the be all and end all, but it is a little step in changing things up in how this country is working. Do you think there are a lot of people out there who maybe have opinions that they've held for a little while now and are worried about changing those or shifting and supporting something else? Yeah, totally. And that's totally fair. We want to do what's comfortable for us. Even going back to the 67 referendum with Aboriginal people being included in the constitution, there were blackfellas that didn't want that to happen in 67. And so I think there might be a similar tone of why would we also want to be now included in the constitution in this way. And the fears are valid. Why would we want to be included? Why should we trust the government that has been the very people who have oppressed and hurt us? So of course, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a very valid sentiment to hold 
Australia's history closely and to hold our criticism here when we also say we're going to vote yes, because it's a yes with an asterisk. It's a yes saying, yeah, we will vote for this, see how it goes, but I do have my concerns about this. Are you worried about some of the opinion polling that we've seen over the past few months that's potentially shown a a drop uh, of support for the voice around the country? Um, No, I think it's a good indicator that there's always work to be done to improve how the movement is working. I think it makes sense that as it gets closer, people will become more fearful or more scared depending on what the opposition is saying to the voice or just last-minute sort of cold feet kind of thing. I think that's a very natural response and I think it's an understandable response. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Millie May from the group Uprising of the People about the Voice to Parliament referendum, which is definitely on for later this year. The official legislation around it passed the Senate today. Millie, the arguments against The Voice are that it could potentially divide the country. Like, people might have heard some comments from the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians, Jacinta Numpagimpa-Price. She says it'll divide the country. She says it's based on the premise that all First Nations people are marginalised, which she says is not true. How do you respond to that? We already live in a divided country (laughs) and it has been divided for a long time and we live in a country that has many different people and many different experiences. And the premise of the principle of the voice is that we allow different voices to be heard and once those voices are heard and acted upon, you can make the solutions that are more equitable for the whole population. And so there is division and there is difference and that's the very problem that we're trying to combat by having the voice and it is important for people to voice their concerns that might be different and I do agree that the divisiveness in Australia is harmful and hurtful and so what are we doing about that? And what we're doing about that is trying to change the constitution. And it's cool because it's a new way of using the whitefella law. If it's here and we've got it in front of us, we may as well see how it goes because we've got to try something different to combat the divisiveness that's in this nation. So we've got Senator Price and others in the Liberal Party, the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, saying it's not local enough. These voices need to be at a more local level that the wrong people are going to have too much power. What do you say to that? Vote yes with an asterisk then, because then if you're supporting the concept of the voice and you believe in local decision making, vote yes and then use that criticism that you have of it to implement alternatives to the big voices and create local smaller voices. That's an amazing criticism to have with you. We need that criticism. So vote yes with your criticism. Rather than just voting no with your criticism, turn it around, vote yes so we can use that constructively. And absolutely we need to have smaller local voices. That's the whole point that we want to get across. We don't want the peak bodies running this. We don't want the huge councils running this. We want and this is what I've been trying to push, we want local smaller voices. And so that's great, but that's not a reason to vote no. That's a reason to vote yes so that you can then, when it's implemented, have that to construct good local smaller voices. What do you think of the tone of this debate so far? 
I have tried to tap out of it. I honestly haven't been engaging too much in the media stuff because it becomes too divisive and too hurtful. (laughs) So I have stepped away. And I think especially, you know, dinner tables or bars and pubs, the conversations are going to be, what are you voting on The Voice? And people just want to have a nice time and not have to think about those kind of things. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a hard time and people need to walk gently, tread lightly and be warm with how they approach it. There are probably a lot of non-Indigenous Australians who are pretty confused and they want to do the right thing by First Nations people, but they don't know what the right thing is because they're hearing so many different views and arguments. What would your advice to those people be? I would ask you to choose the least harmful option. And I think if you have a good consciousness of particularly some of the rhetoric on the anti-voice side is very harmful and you want to choose what side of history you want to be on. And for me, it's choose the least harmful option. Choose the little step that is along with this staunch activism and staunch protesting and staunch movements that have been happening since 1788, which for me is a simple yes vote with caution. And that's okay. You can have your reservations, but it's a yes because a yes is the least harmful option in my opinion. I feel relieved in my choice to vote yes. I feel elated by that decision. It feels freeing. We're going to make it work. Millie May from Uprising of the People, appreciate you coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. We've got a lot of messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, can you explain why we need a referendum for this rather than making the change, just making it um, by politicians doing it? It's because we're changing the constitution. So when we do that, uh, we need to have a referendum. It's a big deal. And that means that we can't just have another government come in and reverse what uh, this government has done. It's a decision that's made by the people of Australia. We've got other comments coming through. Someone says, I think the voice is going to divide communities more than it's going to help. Some other people asking about exactly how the voice is going to be made up, how it's going to function. Um, Worth pointing out that that's not what the referendum's asking. It's asking whether we should have the voice um, and the discussions about how it will function is up to the parliament to kind of figure out. As you just heard, Millie is voting yes. She's encouraging other Aussies to do the same. But we do know that not everyone is so confident, right? Ben Abitangelo is a Gunai Kurnai and Wajibaluk writer, storyteller, and he's with us now from Darwin. G'day, Ben. Thanks for coming on Hack. Dave, thank you for the opportunity to lend my voice. Look, there's going to be a lot of people uh, listening to this who are thinking, I'm still not sure which way I'm going to vote, whether it's going to be yes or no. Do you know if you're voting yes or no in this referendum? Uh, I'm in a place of paucity and I think there's still a lot of consideration and thought to take place from my end and ultimately though I feel as though that wedged into a position where neither of the options are satisfactory and irrespective of where the vote lands, I feel like that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are at a loss. Are you concerned that, you know, people might see those who are campaigning or choosing to vote no all in, all in the same group and putting those people all in the, in the same category? 
Yeah, I, I think it's unhelpful. Like the rigid binaries are forcing people to a position, but I firmly believe that there is subsets within the yes and the no campaign. There's absolutely a racist no, there's absolutely a progressive no, and there's absolutely a furious no. And then on the yes side of things, I, I firmly believe that there's people who believe in their great heart of hearts that they're making the right decision and doing what's best for First Nations people. But there's also a subset category in there that is filled by big corporations, right, who are advocating for a yes vote, not because they're brilliant moral corporate citizens, but they're doing that because they know that the voice is going to be not even a hindrance, not even a blip on the radar, you know, for them and the dodgy business dealings. So I think that there's, um, you know, subsets within the yes and no campaign and I think to lump people in, the one group or banner is an oversimplification that is unhealthy on both sides of the ledger. You wrote this piece recently called uh, Actions Speak Louder Than The Voice and in it you say, what good is having the voice when the people you're speaking to either don't know how to listen, don't care or simply believe they know better? Do you have concerns with the plan for the voice to parliament, the plan itself? Well, I mean, today there's a lot of joy and adoration from many that the legislation has been passed, but a stone's throw away from me, 10-year-olds in Dondale Youth Detention Centre still linger in solitary confinement for 20 hours a day. Attorney generals across the country continue to refuse to raise the age of criminal responsibility. Fracking in the Beetaloo Basin is going ahead despite fierce opposition from traditional owners. The Perdaman Fertiliser Plant on the Barrett Peninsula goes against the aspirations of Indigenous people there. Like, there's a litany of current things that governments could be doing um, and they choose not to. So, yeah, the premise of that piece is essentially that, yes, actions speak louder than the voice and currently the voice is all we're hearing. Do you agree with some of those who are advocating for the no vote who say there's not been enough consultation with communities, that power has been taken away from grassroots advocates and I guess simply that people in communities across the country just don't understand how this is going to work? Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's, um, you know, there's, there's flaws in every process and it's not, you know, throwing grenades at, you know, those who have established the Uluru Dialogues and those that are pushing for the Yes campaign. But absolutely at a grassroots level, there's a lot of confusion, um, at least anecdotally within the circles uh, that I, you know, navigate through. So I do believe that, you know, free prior and informed consent for communities across the country hasn't been achieved and that there is a little bit of a reverse engineering going on where, we're kind of committed to this referendum, but now it's about going backwards to First Nations communities and explaining what this whole thing is. So I, I agree with the, the, the premise of that statement, absolutely. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with writer Ben Abitangelo about the Voice to Parliament referendum. We're speaking about it a lot this week because uh, we had that... Uh, news that it's passed the Senate, the legislation, and so the vote will be happening later this year. We just heard before from Millie May who said she is going to be voting yes because it's the least harmful option and she encouraged, you know, all people to choose that option. Do you agree with that? Um, my initial response is it's really sad that we're in a position where we have to choose <clears throat> or, or the thinking has got to what is the least harmful option. Um, I think there's a there's something missing, though, within the discourse that 
those on the no side are just casted as racist. I mean, the Labor government has been perhaps even more detrimental <clears throat> to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people since inception. The people that are funding the Yes campaign are massive mining companies that smash our country, you know, and that is the core of their economic model. So I don't believe that there's just a racist now. I think either option is incredibly racist, incredibly detrimental. And like I said at the top, that irrespective of which way this referendum goes, unfortunately, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will continue to be at a loss. So do you think that the government is not really taking seriously the real concerns of people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, who are going to vote no for what they see as really valid reasons? Well, I've got 235 years of evidence and, you know, the piece that I wrote for the Saturday paper specifically just looks at this term of the Labor government and they have done absolutely nothing. I mean, if they were sincere, you know, with the referendum being the central premise of their whole agenda, you'd imagine, right, that they'd take the boot off our necks, that they'd pick the low-hanging fruit. I mean, the bringing them home report still collects dust. The Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody continues to be non-existent. They continue to smash Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's rights right across the country. Children linger in solitary confinement as young as 10 years of age. You know, it's, it's not an opinion. It's just a statement of fact that this Labor government has been utterly embarrassing, shameless, shameful as a great paradox and unfortunately has just continued to double and triple down on all of the violent policies that have attacked our very essence since the beginning of colonisation. Are you worried, though, Ben, that if the no vote is successful, that there's not going to be any political will to do anything else for years? I still don't think that that's um, an argument for the yes. I mean, if the government is saying, well, if this fails, there's going to be no political will, then it essentially just shows their hand that they're not invested. They're not willing to do the hard work. They're not willing to have a plan B. They're not willing to, you know, deliver on the whole premise and promise of their position. So I don't really see that as an argument. And again, you know, that framing I find really offensive, you know, to, to push people into voting a certain way. If the no vote succeeds and the government suddenly loses its appetite, then, you know, shame on them. Ben, I asked this question to Millie. I'll ask it to you as well. There'll be a bunch of non-Indigenous people out there listening now thinking, oh, I just want to do the best thing for First Nations people, but they're confused because there's so much information out there. They're hearing different things from the yes camp, the no camp. What would be your advice to those people? My advice to those people is to ask different questions. It's to look at the equation that's in front of them and try and find a very different vantage point so that we can get out of the current rhythms and thinking that we're stuck in. My questions would, that I'd be exploring was, is it just or fair that Indigenous people are being rendered into a powerless advisory body that is going to be forever subservient to a political system that was imposed on this country? Is the voice to Parliament, if successful, going to stop fossil fuel companies from pillaging and plundering every inch of land? I feel as though that there's a chance to ask much greater, meaningful questions that will ultimately get people to a more informed decision when they ultimately have to cast their ballot. Well, look, we appreciate your insights into this. Writer Ben Abitangelo, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. 
Thanks, Dave. And we've still got a lot of messages coming through on the text line. Somebody says, thanks for the inspiring words, Millie. Yeah, a lot of people are happy with, you know, the conversation they're hearing or just saying that they're hearing stuff that they hadn't heard before, maybe different perspectives they hadn't considered. Someone else says, yeah, I love Millie. She's the only one pointing out that voting yes is not the be all and end all. It's not the end. It's just the first step in the process of giving First Nations people more power to make decisions about things that concern them. Another person says, yeah, such a thoughtful and articulate perspective. It's refreshing and it's empowering to hear something like this. That's good to hear. We like to hear stuff like that. Somebody else. I'm voting yes because you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. If we rejected every problematic baby step, then we'd never get anywhere. Another person says, I'm black and LGBTQI+. I went through a public debate with people telling me I'm bad. Now it's starting again. I totally agree with the comments about not reading all the comments on social media. Having grown up in Central Australia, I saw governments set up bodies for Indigenous administration only to shut them down years later. A constitutionally enshrined voice stops them from shaping and then shutting down these bodies. Finally, a permanent seat at the table. We've also got a lot of uh, comments coming through on our Instagram, including one from the Prime Minister of Australia. I don't know whether anyone saw that, but Anthony Albanese commented on a hack story and said, yeah, now the Australian people will have a chance to say yes. Together we can make history by enshrining recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution. I think he was doing the rounds, checked out some of the other uh, media outlets' Instagrams and saw exactly the same comment, which is a little suspicious. Amanda says, shouldn't even be a vote, should already be in effect. And someone else says, this is a token gesture. It's a no from me. We don't have a voice at all if this goes ahead. Sacred land will be gone for mining and housing and there will be nothing anyone can do about it. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.